Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. On today's show, sailing, take me away, don't know the rest of the words, it doesn't matter because we're talking about how to sail around the world. This is a show I've been wanting to bring you for a long time, and I've got some of the best experts out there. They've been doing it for over a decade. We're going to talk all about sailing, estimated costs, the best place in the world to learn how to sail, why sailing is such a great way to travel, the dangers of sailing, how to stay safe. And on the mindset side, we talk about life at sea. How does it affect your mind? How does the process of breaking the cycle of regular daily life, working nine to five, and then going out onto a boat for months on end. How does that change you? How do you slow down and get into that moment? How time off traveling can help make you a more productive worker, the social life around sailing. So much great stuff in this show. You're going to love it. And I'm so glad you're here to listen to it. Let's get into it now, shall we? Thanks for being here and... Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, spending a little time here with me today, letting me bring a little travel into your ears. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms and to fill your life with as much travel as you desire. Thanks for being part of this worldwide community. And thank you to everybody who's taken the time to write. I want to give a shout out to somebody who is actually two people who are way down south. I'm talking way down south. And I think I'm going to have them on the podcast because they've got something to share with you. First, don't forget, if you haven't signed up over at zerototravel.com, join our big community email newsletter there because you're going to get stuff that you don't get on the podcast if you want to connect with me and the community a little deeper off the podcast. This is a two-way conversation, and I love to keep it that way. And we're always hosting workshops and doing fun things online, so... Come join us. Just sign up over at zerototravel.com. Got some really cool stuff coming up for you this year. More articles coming out, not just content, but also online gatherings. We're having some in-person gatherings and different things like that. So I don't want you to miss it. I'm sure you don't want to miss it. If you connect with this show and you want to meet some other people in this community, then please sign up over at zerototravel.com. 
com. Today's show is packed with incredible information and it's going to get you geeked up on sailing. One of the most shocking things that I found doing this interview is how quickly you can learn sailing and how accessible it can be in many ways. And if you've been sailing, you're probably already geeked up on it and you're ready to listen to the show. If you've never been, if you don't have your sea legs yet, uh, then you might want to get them after the show. I'm just warning you because not only all the stuff that I mentioned at the top of the show was packed into this uh, episode, but there's so much more in this interview with my new friend Brian from svdelos.com. They've been at this for over a decade and he shares a ton of knowledge in this show, some great stories, tips, resources, all kinds of stuff. You're going to love it. And we're going to slip and slide into it in just a moment. First, I do want to give this shout out to Zach and Leah. They said, first of all, they wrote me an email. I said, first of all, we love your podcast, the way it flows, the topics you cover, and the incredible people you interview truly make our week every week. We've been listening for over two years now. You're one of the biggest reasons we quit our jobs, put everything in storage, and hit the road without looking back. Pause to say a quick thank you for the kind words there. And I'm glad that uh, this podcast played some kind of part in helping you get out on the road. Anyway, they go on to say after traveling the 50 states, they set a new goal to travel to all seven continents. This proves to be very difficult since Antarctica is extremely difficult to get to. To overcome this challenge, we applied for a science support contract to work at the bottom of the world. After a three-month extensive interview process, we were accepted. In October, we made the long trek via New Zealand to McMurdo Station, Antarctica. We've enjoyed our time on this frozen continent. We've learned so much about ourselves, how pushing boundaries through travel changes lives, polar science, and what six months in isolation can do to the mind. Zero to Travel really ensured us that people are in fact traveling. It isn't crazy after all to stop everything and experience all this world has to offer. Thank you for your amazing podcast. Keep up the inspiring work. Zach and Leah, thank you. Thank you so much. And you know I love to share stories from the community because you guys are the reason I do this show, you guys and gals. So if you haven't checked in, you want to share your story, you can always shoot me an email, jason at zerototravel.com. I read all the emails and I love to share the stories from the community because it's not just the guests I have on, but also you out there listening, changing your lives to accommodate more travel or fulfill some travel dreams, whether it's long-term travel, nomad life, or even just one trip. It doesn't matter. If travel's in your bones, if it feels like something you got to do, that's what we're here for. This is a community-powered show. So the more of these stories I can share... I know the more it spreads that ripples of goodness and good vibes and we can all see, hey, I've never been to Antarctica. And now Zach and Leah mentioned they wanted to share their experience with us on the podcast to talk about how to get down to Antarctica, different ways to get there. So Zach and Leah, I'll be reaching out because I've never done an episode on that. And I'm sure there's people listening right now that are thinking, hmm, I'd like to go to Antarctica, but hey, isn't it expensive? How do you get down there? Well, hey. I'm going to see if Zach, Zach and Leah can bring us some hacks. So look out for my return email. Guys, I'll have you on the show as soon as you get out of Antarctica and back to a place where the internet is more stable. Now, I've also gotten a couple emails recently from some people requesting specific guests, and I love that. I add it right into my queue of people I want to reach out to. And you know, if you listen to the show, I like to have a real diverse unique set of guests, not just the people making the podcast rounds or all the people that everybody know, but people that you maybe haven't heard from before. And anytime you can get a, a new guest or somebody interesting on my radar, that can 
offer some value to our community here. I'm all about it. So if you have any recommendations or tips or anything like that, you can always shoot those in email as well. There we go. We're wrapping up this business now. We're going to slip and slide into this interview. You're going to love it. Sail away with us, my friends, and I will see you on the other side of this show. Brian. How are you? Hey, what's up, my man? How are you doing? Good, man. Good. <laughs> Can you see me okay? Nice to yeah. see you. Yeah. And that's a, mean, a cool t-shirt. Yeah. Thank you. This Who is, is my... It says Ahoy, but the O is somebody's it's, face. It's basically a crazy man. He yeah. was a friend that we met in the South Pacific. Nice. And he was a guy, one of the first things he told us is, uh, I doubt very much that I will live to be 30 years old. Wow. And he was like a day trader. Uh, trading the commodities market in Chicago in his 20s. And he got tired of it. He uh, bought like a really cheap sailboat and he just took off on this hellbent mission to sail around the world. And uh, he did it in two and a half years. And then um, he, uh, after he was done, he tried to go back to normal life. It didn't really fit into it. And he ended up traveling to India where he died of typhoid. Uh, fortunately, so all of his friends got together and we funded a documentary about his travels and his life. And this is the shirt we got for that. Wow. So. What's that documentary called? We're recording, Thanks. by the way. I, I, oh, we I, are. Okay, I, great. I was no, like afraid we would miss something. So I just hit record right away. <laughs> and sure enough. <laughs> we uh, well, this, the documentary is called Chasing Bubbles. Chasing and it's Bubbles. Actually, it's actually on YouTube for free, I think. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. Um, I have so many questions. This is insane. But uh, <laughs> I guess we should do a little intro for you so everybody can uh, learn a little bit about you. Uh, my guest today, who I'm chatting with right now, planned an 18-month sailing trip back in 2008 that somehow turned into 11 years of sailing around the world with stops in six continents and 45 countries. And they are still going, as far as I know. Uh, we'll find out how that happened, and much more. And you can follow their adventures at SV, as in Victor Delos, D-E-L-O-S, D-E-L-O-S, D-E-L-O-S. Uh, yeah, I'm a podcaster. And uh, they have a hugely popular YouTube channel if you want to hop on the boat with them and really see what the lifestyle is like. I encourage you to check it out. Uh, Brian Troutman, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Thanks, man. Happy to be here. Awesome to have you here. Now, I was going to say, the guy in the shirt reminds me of, and what was his name? Alex. Alex. Alex yeah. His. Uh, I was in Ushuaia once, down in the southern tip of South America, and I saw a guy sailing, and he looked just like he had like the beard and the salty, and I was just like, that guy's on a real adventure right now. <laughs> like I could just see he was in the thick of it. I'm so excited to talk to you because I don't know if you watch like football. Everybody can relate to kind of this analogy, but it's easy to be the armchair quarterback, right? You can be like, oh, that guy should have made the tackle or whatever, you know? And that was me for sailing up until like two weeks ago because I'd never done really? it before. But a buddy of mine texted me and he's like, hey, do you want to go sailing with me in the Oslo Fjord? I live in Norway. And I was like, yeah, I want to go sailing with you in of the course. Oslo Fjord. <laughs> so, because um, I'd never gone sailing before. And this is actually before you guys reached out. So uh, funny enough, I got the email from you guys, I think like the day after or something. So, it was just like a two-hour trip, and there was barely any wind or anything, but I got to like touch the lines and like wrap things and like move around the boat and get a feel for what sailing is all about, and man, I was pretty instantly hooked. I'm like, this is really 
cool. And of course, there's the the aspects of it being wind powered and just some of the stuff that goes along with that. I don't know, there's so much to it. So um, I'm really excited to chat with you. And I wanted to say first, congratulations on the birth of your daughter. Right? Oh, you just had a daughter? You. Thank you. That, yeah, exactly. She's five weeks old. Uh, so that's that's my first disclaimer is if, if you hear a, a baby crying in the background, then that means mommy went to change her diaper or something. But uh, yeah, she's doing well. She's healthy. Her name is Sierra because uh, we wanted to name her something that sort of uh, contrasted the, the high mountains to the ocean where we normally live. And it also is like, you know, part of the phonetic maritime alphabet, Sierra. And then I can call her like Sia or C, so she's already got all sorts of cool nicknames. <laughs> uh, so we're stoked. Yeah, we, we hope to get back to the boat. We're in Sweden right now. We've been, uh, Karen was on, on board up until she was seven months pregnant. Uh, and then we decided to head uh, to Sweden for the birth. And we've been uh, getting used to family life here for the past few months. And then we'll head back and begin sailing with uh, with our daughter on board. Well, shoot, if I if I knew you were in Sweden, we could have done this during the day a little bit earlier. <laughs> it's not a problem, then. <laughs> not a problem at all. Darn. Where in Sweden are you? Uh, I'm on a little island called Gotland, which is off the coast of Sweden. It's about a three-hour ferry ride from Stockholm. Okay. And, uh, Man, so we could have done it in person. Time. I could have. That would have been even better. Get a big excuse to go over there and visit you guys. <laughs> it's a very cool place, though. It's like a you know, age-old Viking city, big thick walls, and yeah, I like it. I like it. Karen's your wife, right? Yep. yep. So, because well, I know your brother's girlfriend. Well, we can get into all this at, at some point, but I maybe it was your wife talking because I understood what she was saying. I was because I speak Norwegian, like to an extent, yeah. um, and I was like. And they always say, like, you can understand Swedish, too. And I'm like, oh, my God, I understand some of this. This is yeah. crazy. But I don't so understand all of it. It sounds like a different language. Something percent similar. A lot of so, shared words. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, that was one of my questions because, well, I have a daughter and a son who's one-year-old. My daughter's three. But um, I know you're in the thick of it right now with caretaking. It's a huge life change, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, when people ask me how it is, I kind of say, like, well, it's sort of like sailing, but... Instead of being up at night doing watch and changing the sails, we're changing diapers and, and nursing her, you know, so it's, we're used to the random sleep patterns at least. Yeah, I guess sometimes you're cleaning poop off the sails too, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> not ideally. <laughs> well, it I mean, to happen. yeah, I guess, yeah, that from that perspective, you're used to kind of being up at night at certain times and, and running that cycle. And um, I was going to ask you how that worked because... Well, Sweden, I mean, incredible benefits and you're married. So I assume that you were just able to go there and have the child without having to deal with like insurance issues and things like that. Cause you're from the States, right? Yeah, pretty much. You know, when, when Karen got pregnant, we were sailing in the Caribbean and, uh, we decided to stay on the boat for as long as we can. Cause it is our permanent home. I mean, it's, it's a home. We have nowhere else to live really. And uh, we were able to find doctors as we went through the islands. Um, it was no problem. It was very reasonable cost to do all the ultrasounds and the checkups. The only real problem was when we got to the U.S. And uh, we were not able to see a doctor, unfortunately. Um, and we had already planned to go to Sweden because, like you said, it's excellent health care. It's free. They have a big support system in place. And it's, it's a different methodology as well. And Karen has family here and we had a place to live and I love it here. So I basically just got a long stay visa. So normally I, you know, you get your three months. Uh, I was able to get six months by, by just telling them, Hey, 
my wife is Swedish and we're going to go to Sweden and have a baby. And we're like, okay, sweet. Yeah. Little ID card and everything. Doesn't it piss you off, like, with your home country, you know, that we're, we're so crappy at this stuff? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's pros and cons to everything, I suppose. Yeah. I think care is one of the ones that could be improved. Huge. For sure. Huge knock on, yeah. uh, I don't know. I mean, we're not going to get into a healthcare <laughs> conversation. So having a child, like we said, is a huge change. And I'm going to save that to the end because I think there's a whole discussion around how much this may or may not change your lives. And we're going to get into, I have a lot of questions around like how to sail around the world and, and all that good yeah, stuff cool. that people want to hear. But I kind of want to start out learning a little bit more about you because this thing, like I said in the intro, I mean, it started out as like one big trip and it turned into something way more than that. First of all, where did you grow up? Well, I, I grew up in Flagstaff, Arizona. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a mountain town. It is. It is. It's uh, not quite as high as Boulder. You're in Boulder, right? Yeah. No, I'm in. I'm in Oslo. Oh, you're. I thought you. Okay. Yeah. I thought you on your. I think it said some Boulder, but you're traveling now. Got it. Yeah. Well, I live um, here. My wife's Norwegian. Oh, okay. We're both married to Scandinavians. So that <laughs> previous conversation makes so much more sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, I grew up in, in Flagstaff, Arizona, up in the trees in the mountains. Arizona is a landlocked state. I lived in Tucson, which is also in the desert. And uh, basically, I had this craving and, and feeling to want to live closer to the water. So I applied for a transfer for my job, which was actually working for the phone company. I was the guy that climbed telephone poles. I got a job up in Seattle. I said, sweet, Seattle is right on the water. Sounds like the place for me. Moved up there, got my degree in electrical engineering from uh, University of Washington, went straight to work out of college to Microsoft, was climbing the corporate ladder. Yeah, I mean, in Microsoft, not that they're not huge now, but then it was even like... More yeah, and it was, it was like the, the epitome of, you know, it was like a very prestigious thing at that time. And, you know, my, my manager took me into his office one day and he's like, hey, Brian, uh, you know, he shut the door and it's like dim lighting. He gives me, you know, a, a drink of whiskey because it's, you know, cool to drink at work and everything. And he says, you know, what do you want to do, Brian? When, you know, what do you, where are you in 10 years from now? And I'm like, well, I really don't know. I'm like, you know, my mid-20s, I really haven't thought about that so much. He closes the door and he points to the org chart on the back of his door and he says, you know, it starts at Bill Gates and it goes all the way down. There's hundreds of nodes. And he says, ah, you know, my goal is to someday be a node on this org chart. And I'm like, I don't know, I just thought to myself, I was like, man, if that's your goal in life is to be a node on somebody's org chart, then I'm sorry, like, you know, I, I, I basically put in my notice about two weeks later. Oh, really? That that hit you the way way the wrong way from his perspective. Yeah. <laughs> the right way for yours. Motivational. It turned out to be detrimental to my, my <laughs> I career. thought you were going to say he, he closed the door and was like, get out while you can, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, my, myself and a couple of other guys from my team quit at the same time because they were also fed up. We started our own software consulting company. Uh, basically reselling stuff to Microsoft, which was sort of a, a joke. Um, but uh, we ran that for a couple years. And when the economy crashed for the housing crisis in 2008, I uh, said, hey, there's no more work to be done here. I've been wanting to take time off for a long time. I loved sailing. I had a smaller sailboat. And I said, you know, I think I'm going to sell everything I own, house, car, 
TVs, possessions. I'm going to buy a sailboat and I'm going to leave and like clear my head. And I had enough money to do it for like 18 months. And that was the plan. And I was thinking like, I wanted to travel, but I wanted to sail. And it turns out if you can sail your house around from country to country, you don't ever need to find accommodations, right? Exactly. <laughs> and you get to keep all your toys with you, all your creature comforts, your books, your computers, and it's all there. And because everything is connected, so many countries are connected to the ocean. The, the world is literally like at your fingertips. And so we started sailing. My brother joined in Mexico a few months into the trip. Uh, we took off across the South Pacific. We ended up in... Uh, really New Zealand. Um, it was like 15 months later, something like that. And uh, that's where I met my wife, Karen. She was uh, actually going to school in Australia. Okay. So you met her on the original sort of trip yeah. that you planned. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I met her and, and, uh, at a party and I asked her to come sailing for the weekend. I was like, hey, you know, I got a sailboat. Take me away. Exactly. <laughs> all, the, all the cliches from all the songs, right? Exactly. <laughs> and then she ended up missing her flight back and it was awesome. And it was awesome, and it still is awesome. Now you guys have a child together. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, we were in the cycle of, of sailing, running out of money, doing odd jobs and odd work. You know, my brother was managing a Mexican restaurant, and I was, you know, we were living off my credit card, so I had to get a consulting job writing code again from Australia. And, uh, you know, we, we just kept on doing this thing, work, make money, sail, run out, work, make money, sail, run out. And eventually, we, we started making these uh, videos based on feedback from somebody who was reading our blog, because we, we did have a blog at that time. It was just pictures and stories for our friends and family. But this other sailor came up to us and was like, guys, like, you know, the stuff that you're putting up is pretty cool. What would you think about documenting your lifestyle through videos instead of blogs? And we said, well, Google, here we come. How do I make a video? And we bought a cheap little camcorder and we started making these like basically home movies, right? And people started watching them and we started getting emails from people and people were subscribing to the channel. And, and you know, we were a little bit taken aback at first. We were like, well, why in the hell are people interested in this? Like, what's going on here? And then I read somewhere that you could make money on videos on YouTube. So I enabled monetization and we made like $1. And I was thinking like, oh, wow, we've made $1. That's pretty great. Now maybe we can try and make $30. So we made a few more videos and then we were making like $30 a month. And I was like, well, okay, if we can make $300 then we at least have enough to pay for our beer. So that was our goal. And uh, that went on for a little while. And our audience was growing organically during that time. And then we got an email from one of the people watching our videos about a crowdfunding platform named Patreon. And it's, are you familiar with that at all? Yeah. Okay. So you know what it is. It's basically like Kickstarter, but it's for ongoing projects. We created an account there. He said, if we created an account, he would be the first person to sign up and pledge to us. And now that is actually what funds most of our travel sustainably. Yeah. That's crazy. I want to get into some of that, but I'm going to have to rewind because after you decided you didn't want to be the node, 
You're like right. the node with the Ghostbusters symbol. I'm just imagining crossing it out. You know, at that point in the story, I always feel like a lot of people are like, well, then I took off to travel, but you took off and just started another company. <laughs> <laughs> well, what kind of software later, were you building? Like, what, what was the actual product that you made? Well, it was to do with uh, software development lifecycle stuff. So helping other people write code by managing work items. And it's, it's really, I, after I did that, I decided I never again want to do something where I have to convince them that they need to buy whatever I'm working on. I want to do something that's fun and sells itself. Yeah, got it. Yeah. And you're doing that. <laughs> well, I, I, basically, I want to do something I love. And if I love to do it, then it doesn't matter. Like It's, it's all good either way. Well, I think there's I'm, really something to that intention, right? Because that was a specific intention you have. And that's where you guys are at now. And I, I don't feel like you arrive in those places unless you really set an intention towards them. No, absolutely. Absolutely agree. Because if you set an intention towards something, then you are by default changing the energy and the aura around you that's going to attract more of what you want in your life, right? And so that's, that's I think they made a movie about it called The Secret or something like that. <laughs> yeah, but that's kind of, because it takes work too. You know, you can't <laughs> yeah, just no, think about it. But I mean, the way I see it is the intention kind of, it's it's that, but it's also it informs your decisions along the way, right? You're like, oh, this this particular business idea or this thing doesn't fit into the the box of what I actually want, or it's not really a box, but you know, it's not in the direction of what I want. So I'm just going to cast this one to the side. I mean, I feel like it makes decision making a lot easier when it comes to kind of figuring out your life on the road because that's essentially what you guys were doing and i think a lot of travelers can relate to that whether you're sailing backpacking um living in an rv whatever if you're working the odd jobs and you're trying to figure out like the next thing you're going to do to keep traveling um (laughs) i think it's good to have an an intention and of course um the way you guys are doing it and sharing i think it's of course inspiring other people which is a beautiful thing it also gives you a purpose as well right right? And so like, the how long first, can you stare at the ocean with that? You know, I, I, the first six months out, I felt incredibly uncomfortable because my whole life was so structured up to that point, you know, it was divided in 50 minute chunks. And then all of a sudden I had this entire day, entire weeks, entire months. And I felt guilty. You know, I felt like, what should I be doing right now? And I busied myself doing a lot of things. It took me a while just to realize that it's okay to appreciate the time that you have and to enjoy it. And when I did come back to work after having those, you know, almost three years off, I found that I was much more productive in a less amount of time, right? Because my head was clear. I didn't have all this noise around and I was just able to focus and, you know, get in and get out and then it was time to play. What were some of the things that, I know this is really hard to answer because Everybody, my, everybody's mind works in a different way. But during that stretch, like, how did you shed the guilt? I think this is a, a common problem with people coming from the Western mindset. And then all of a sudden you get on the road and you have all this time and you just feel antsy. I remember I, I went on a trip once with a, a colleague of mine. I was more in like travel mode then, but he was in work mode and he was making to-do lists on the beach. And I'm like, what are you making a to-do list for? We don't have anything to do. (laughs) Do whatever the hell we want right now. Like, you know, but he just, it was like that. He was in that mindset. And I get, I get that too. You know, I think we've uh, all been there. So do you have any, any tips around kind of shedding that guilt and just figuring out how to slow down? 
I don't know that my tips are very valid. I can only speak from my experience, but what I did and basically the stems from owning a boat, which is a lot of work, is I poured myself into working on the boat and creating a lot of hobbies for myself. So, you know, initially when all the boat work was done, like imagine, you know, you clean your house and like now it's done and then you go out and you go running or hiking, I would go scuba diving and I would go like, you know, snorkeling and then I would go surfing and then I would go paddle boarding and then I would just do all of these things. And then it became to a point where I was like, well, you know, now I'm just going to sit around and read. And, you know, that's maybe I think the best part about being at sea is because you're actually forced to do nothing because you're on a boat in the middle of the ocean. Land is a thousand miles away. There's no internet. There's no connectivity. The only people that you can talk to are those that are with you, your crew. And now I can sit for hours and, you know, stare at a cloud, start on the horizon and then rise over the horizon and pass over my head or just look at the waves or listen to music for a bit and then read a bit and, you know, and be relaxed and not feel guilty. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I think I in this day and age, it's harder than ever to do, to get to that point. Yeah. I think in modern society now, and, and it's really a brutal realization when we come into port, you know, after we're at sea for like 15 or 20 days, the first thing you want to do is, of course, you want to get off the boat. You want to go into the local bar, meet some people, and have a couple of drinks. You go in there, and everybody's on their phones. I'm like, well, what's, what's the point of even coming to the bar if everybody's going to sit there and ignore each other? I don't know. Yeah, and you're so disconnected that you're, I think your awareness around that is probably heightened because, oh, like no you doubt. said, you're coming sure. off of staring at clouds for you know hours. <laughs> and I mean, which sounds like pretty much like paradise right now. <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. I highly recommend it. Yeah. So that's a whole other element to this, I think, because travel can change you in so many ways, but this kind of travel is each, each style of travel has its own unique things and it's going to affect each person as an individual. But I mean, it sounds like with sailing in the way that you guys are, when you're backpacking or something, I mean, there's a lot of different, you can do it a lot of different ways, but you're kind of in the thick of everything. But with you guys, like when you're out at sea, you're just, like you said, you don't have connectivity. You're, you're forced to kind of sit in these, in these spaces with yourself. Yeah. And you're totally self-sufficient as well. So, you know, we're, we're responsible for making our own water on board with the desalination plant. We make our own electricity with solar and wind we have enough food and provisions, you know, we're fishing, of course, we have food for three to six months. So it's nice to know that you can be situated somewhere and survive for a long time. That gives you, it, it gives you a good amount of peace. I think you could end up anywhere and be okay. Right. It doesn't matter. I'm sure in the beginning it gave you some stress or maybe not, but just, you know, what's going to break? Is this going to work? What if the water thing breaks? I mean, what do you do? <laughs> Well, <laughs> you fix it or you don't. And if you don't fix it, then you work around the problem. You know, like when we were sailing from, uh, where was it, Mexico to uh, French Polynesia to the Marquesas, from the swinging of the stove, it cracked the propane hose. So all of a sudden, our ability to cook just evaporated in a cloud of gas. But I rummaged around the boat. I found out that the hose on our dive compressor is the exact same type of hose 
the exact same type of thread. So I took the dive compressor apart, got the stove working, right? That was a lot of fun that day. I mean, it was stressful at first, but, I, you know, yeah. And, and I get a lot of satisfaction from that. MacGyver style. Yeah, I love yeah. doing that. <laughs> it's a good feeling. Everybody no, loves really doing good. that, right? Where you just kind yeah. of rig something up. You're like, all right, this is going to work. Is it going to hold? Is it going to hold? <laughs> Moments of tension. Then, yes, of, we can have a hot tape meal. bailing wire. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I was on tour, we used to say, if you can't duck it, fuck it. That was our <laughs> sort of ongoing saying. You need duct tape for everything. There, there's also one more, one more thing. There's one time in the South Pacific, we had a pretty big, like our water maker sprung a leak. And it, it sprayed the water right into all of our battery chargers. So we had like the water maker broken. And then we had no electricity for a while. We had a dark boat. And it was one of the most amazing times because we would naturally live with the, the, the sunrise and the sunset to get water. We would go to shore on some island and end up meeting some you know, local crazy native guy in a hut that we wouldn't have normally met if we were on this mission to get water and uh yeah it was it, we turned it into it could have been it could have easily ended the trip for that season but it turned out to be like one of the things that i look back on the most fondly is this seasonal for you guys do you guys do this 365 days a year obviously you're stopping on land and staying in places and things like that you're not on the boat all the time but is it do you go back we're, to sweden we're on the boat all the time oh you are <laughs> you are in the boat all the time yeah. i mean the only reason we're here is for the baby right um okay. but i mean it is seasonal in the sense that we like to avoid cyclones and hurricanes and so yeah so we know where the high you know it's no surprise what the hurricane season is in the caribbean it's no surprise where it is in the south pacific the indian ocean so we'll make our long-term planning around being out of these areas when there is the hurricane season. Uh, and, you know, we can move north or south because the seasons, you know, the different hemispheres have different seasons. So if it's turning into a cyclone season up north, we can sail south and be in winter again. You moved to Seattle to be near the water, but there are a lot of water sports and there's a lot of ways to travel. I mean, you didn't have to go sailing. Why sailing? I think a lot of it had to do with the self-sufficiency of sailing. You know, it's just such a thing where you're you're responsible for your own mistakes. Anything that happens out there is your fault. Um, it's one of those things where the ocean doesn't really care about your experience or how old you are or your sex or the color of your skin. It treats everybody the same. Um, I find that quite fascinating. Uh, there's no excuses either, right? If something goes wrong. Uh, and you're the skipper, well, you should have thought of that. Um, so it's sort of trial by fire in that aspect. It's very exciting, though. Yeah, and humbling, right? Yeah. Every day. Yeah. You have a constant reminder right in front of you of how s small we really are, but in a in a good way, right? Oh, absolutely. I have gotten pretty seasick before. It's an awful... It's one of the worst feelings in the world 
it's terrible. Is that something you ever battled? Like, I'm just curious because if there are people out there listening that have gotten seasick before, I mean, if you are you just somebody that gets seasick or you don't, or is it something you can get over and get your sea legs, as they say? I'm just curious because there might be some people listening now. They're like, I want to sail around the world, but I get totally seasick, so I can't do it. But I would love to do it, you know. <laughs> well, first of all, it is a real thing. Uh, yeah, it's there awful. are some people. <laughs> it, it it make literally will make you wish that you were dead. It is, it is, it just destroys you. Um, there are people who are more prone to it than others. I, myself, I've never been seasick. Um, but I've had quite a few people that have been sick on the boat that have sailed with us as crew. And typically it lasts about three, maybe four days, which is what they call getting your sea legs. And then after that, you're usually pretty good. Really? Yeah. For the rest of your life or just for that time? No, just for that time. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? If it was well, like I thought shot. it was like, you know, getting the chicken pox or something. You get it once and then you yeah, never get it I, again. I'm sure you do get more acclimated to it. But I mean, you know, we've had people that have sailed with us for six or nine months. And every time you go on a sail, they get sick for, you know, three days or something. And they and still then, come, even though they know they're going to deal with that for three days. Ugh. You can only take so much Dramamine, right? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, how did you get started with it? Because you're, you're a young guy coming from Flagstaff, so there was no sailing experience there, as we mentioned. And I was curious about this myself because having just gone sailing, I thought, well, this would be really cool, and I probably could get my buddy to show me the ropes, as they say, but I love that you can use that expression literally in this yeah, case. Literally. It's always really fun. Like, if you were giving somebody advice on getting started sailing, what would the advice be that you would give? Well, I think the first thing is sailing small boats will teach you way more, way, way more, way more, way quickly than a big boat. So, I'm a big fan of dinghy sailing, and a dinghy is a small boat. Maybe it's six or nine feet but yeah like super small uh you will feel and learn more about the interaction of the wind and the boat and the waves than you will on a big boat because uh, of the rack, principles it's so it's just so reactive to every little thing is that it is it's reactive you can feel every gust of wind and also the stakes are much lower so you can knock one of those bolts over you can roll it over and yes you get wet but then you turn it back over and you keep on going like if we were to roll Delos over a 53 foot, you know, 22 ton boat, like that's a big deal. That would be a real problem. No. <laughs> so that's the number one thing uh, is, and there's dinghy clubs everywhere. Like when I started, there was a place in Seattle called the Center for Wooden Boats. You could go out on an afternoon, like most universities or colleges have them too. You know, it's a couple bucks. You join the club and then you can rent a boat, you get an instructor. That's awesome. Can you tell me about the first day you went? Oh, man. Yeah, it was uh, in a tiny little wooden, I don't even remember what kind of boat it was. It was so long ago. Uh, wooden mast um, went out with, I think it was big enough for three people, myself, my girlfriend at the time and the instructor. We went out and basically it, it scared the shit out of me so much that uh, about within two weeks of that, uh, I went out and I looked on BoatTraderOnline.com. I'm not even sure if it still exists. I found a sailboat that was very close to me. It happened to be a 22-foot Catalina. It was like 2500 bucks, I think. I just bought it. 
was like, that's that's cool. Now I need a boat that I can go do this on my own. Wait, wait, even though you were totally petrified, that made yeah. you want to go buy a boat? <laughs> yeah, I was petrified and thrilled, you know, it was cool. Okay, yeah, you, you were getting this sort of rush with the of the fear being a good, good thing, kind of chasing yeah, I, the fear a little bit. I, I just saw it as an incredible challenge. You know, like it, it just became something that I wanted to learn. Wanted to learn really badly. And I did all sorts of stupid things in that boat. Like I ran it aground, I got the keel stuck on things. I run it into mud banks. Like it drifted away at night because I didn't set the anchor properly, but that's exactly the kind of mistakes you want to make in a, a $2,500 boat, right? Not, much more expensive. Right. I mean, unless you set the anchor improperly and, you know, you a cargo ship runs you over in the middle of the night or something. <laughs> yeah, which you generally try to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> you made those mistakes, but they weren't they weren't life-threatening, it sounds like. No, they were just like the sheriff would call you in the morning and be like, sir, do you know where your boat is? I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, it's anchored out in the bay there. And he's like, no, sir, your boat is a navigational hazard. What, what the heck is a navigational hazard? So it's floating in the middle of Lake Washington. You need to go get it. Like, oh, geez. <laughs> you know, it's floating away. <laughs> That's great. So you learn. You learn from that sort of stuff. Right? Yeah. Any new venture, you're going to have your mishaps. And I mean, even with all the experience, I'm sure it sounds like you still have your mishaps along the way. That's just part of uh, oh, yeah. adventuring. Part of yeah. Yeah. So how long, we're getting in kind of into the how to sail around the world segment, if you want to call it that, because I have a lot of sort of logistical questions around this. How long do you think it takes somebody to learn how to sail? And I know it, it's like amount of hours and time on the water and everything like that, but if like kind of a rough estimate on what you think it would take for somebody to learn how to sail well enough that they could take a trip, like a far trip, not just to, not, not like around, not go around the world. All right, I can go around the world now, but maybe sail from, I don't know, to the San Juan Islands from Seattle or something like that. Oh man, I, I think you're probably talking like days, days. Oh really? Of, of, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, uh, you know, you can go to the Caribbean, you can get a ASA sailing course that'll qualify you to charter your own boat in like really? a week or something like that. Yeah. They teach you everything in a week and then they'll give you a boat and just let you, you take it? Yeah. No you get kidding. a written test. You, you know, you get How much is something like that? Is that kind of... All right, here's a question because I know in diving, for example, one of the cheapest places to do it is in Honduras and a lot of people go there so they can get certified and there's a good diving there apparently, stuff like that. Is there a place like that for sailing where it's, hey, it's cheap and beautiful here and you can go oh, do yeah. it in a week? All right, give it to us. Grenada. Grenada. Okay, Grenada. that's the yeah, spot? Got, uh, yeah, uh, it's a great spot. Um, beautiful. You can sail from Grenada up into the Grenadines, Tobago Keys. Uh, fantastic sailing, always windy, beautiful anchorages, nice beaches. I think uh, there's like, for a seven-day course, it's like 3500 bucks. Uh, keep in mind, this is including your accommodation and your food. So it's including room and board as well, right, on the boat. And you so get you some got, kind of certification that's an international, internationally recognized. Is that? Yeah, yeah. So, well, there's two kinds. There's the the AY, uh, the ASA courses, courses which is the American Sailing Association, um, and then there's the Royal Yacht Master stuff. And the Royal Yacht Master is more for, you know, if you're gonna 
become a delivery skipper or you want to be trusted with other people's boats or you want it for insurance to cross an ocean. But if you want to go charter in the Caribbean, the ASA courses are great. Uh, that's the, it's great. Yeah, they, they totally accept that. Um, uh, LTD Sailing is a great one. Uh, there are friends in Grenada run by Chris and Crystal. Yeah. It's called Living the Dream. Living the Dream Sailing, LTD. Okay, that's cool. All right, so you go down there. You yeah. spend 3500 bucks in a week, and then you can get this ASA certification. And how long is that good for? I believe it's a lifetime. I, I, I really don't know, but I don't, I've never heard of any expiration on okay. it. But you don't need to have something like that to sail around the world, or do you? I don't know how any of that works. Do you need like a driver's <laughs> license? I'm using air quotes. <laughs> the, the answer is it depends on where you're from. Okay. So as That's a U.S. Weird. citizen with a U.S. flag boat, there's nothing required. Okay. So I just basically hopped on and left. Uh, <laughs> that just seems crazy. That well, seems crazy that there's no yeah, sort no. of international kind no, of rule, nothing, right? And the, and the most interesting thing is that, so, okay, so I'm a U.S. citizen, U.S. flag boat, can pretty much do whatever the hell I want. If I was South African or lived in Australia or New Zealand, uh, then you would have to have a license that they approve of before they'll let you off of coastal waters. So basically, if any other nationalities see an American boat coming towards them, they're like, get out of the way! <laughs> defense, defense, <laughs> maybe. But, but the other interesting thing is, as a U.S. flag boat, no foreign country can enforce their rules on you. And so we can, you know, I can't sail into South Africa and they can't prevent me from leaving because I don't have a sailing license right. because they have no control over me or my boat. Right. If that makes sense. Okay. So it's, yeah, it's, it's the Wild West out there. Interesting. All right. So that, that what I say would be the ultimate hack. If you want to learn fast, you like go and just do it for a week straight and just freaking learn it. Don't like, hey, I mean, I guess if you live near the water, you could take lessons and just kind of do it in your free time, which is what something I could do here being based in Oslo. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yep. But going to Grenada and doing it in a week sounds more fun. So then you can take a boat and like, just we'll use that as an example. I know there's a lot of places around the world, but to charter a boat and to rent a boat for, I don't know, a week and go sailing or whatever. Like, what does it typically cost? Oh man, I don't have an answer to that. I do know that you know these boats have like three or four cabins, right? And yeah. each cabin can fit two people. Oh, okay. So that's why it's such a popular thing because you know, let's say it's like I don't know, five or six grand for the week or whatever. You split that up for you know, between six or eight people or something. Yeah. And it becomes very reasonable. And you got your place to stay and then you got all your food just by throwing in your fishing line, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> and then you cruise around from cool spot to cool spot and there you go. Dude, bring your boat to Oslo sometime, please. <laughs> I want to come on and have do this on, do another one of these on the boat. All right. So, cause I'm getting geeked on sailing right now. I, I, if you're listening to this, you might be sitting up a little higher in your seat right now too. Like, all right, this sounds cool. Um, cause it sounds much more feasible than I thought, because when I asked you how long it would take to learn, you're like, Oh man. And I was like, Oh, here it comes in six months, you know, 10 months, you know, a week. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's like the, of course, this is sailing in the Caribbean. Like you wouldn't want to go sail around no. the Cape of Good Hope in South Africa with a week experience. Like no, you, that would be, be a terrible idea. Foolish. Uh, that being said, my friend, Alex, I was talking about for, on, on Bubbles and his crazy boat. I don't think he did anything. I think he just bought the boat and then just took off. Like, That's nuts. Think, yeah, it's nuts. So, 
All right, well, let's talk about it from a planning perspective then, because let's say you're that person that's just starting out and you have a little bit of experience. Sounds like the Caribbean's a nice area to get your feet wet, so to speak. How would you plan a trip around the world? Like, like if you were if you were talking to somebody, like, all right, you're talking to me. This is this is me. I'm, all right, let's say I go. I'm going to go to Grenada. I'm going to spend a week, and I'm going to learn how to do this. Now, I have this dream. I want to sail around the world like you guys are. What are the next steps? Like, should I get a certain amount of experience in one area? Is there a way to plan where you can kind of always stay in these mellow areas and, and and ramp up experience and like how much experience do you think you need until you go to like more difficult areas i don't even know where the more difficult areas are this is like a multi-layer question which is terrible because you're not supposed to ask these but uh i'm doing it anyway i, I think i can take it um well the interesting thing is is there's no right or wrong answer to that it's it depends on how you feel the capabilities of you your boat and your crew there are definitely more dangerous areas to sail, but there's also predefined routes. And, you know, the most popular route for getting in around the world is called the coconut milk run. And they call it that run, the coconut milk run, because you never sail further north to where the coconut stopped growing. You never sail further south to where the coconut stopped growing. You stick to the middle, you keep the wind behind you, you keep the currents behind you and you just go west. Right? And that's, that's the easy way to get around the world. Um, there's actually a book called World Cruising Routes uh, written by Jimmy Cornell. And in there, um, or is it Nigel Calder? Now I can't remember. Well, I know the, name, the title is World Cruising Routes. It basically lists every route in the world, the best season to go to have the most optimal wind and currents with you, waypoints you should go to along the way, it's like a traveling guide for a road trip, except it's on the ocean, right? And there's no there's no rest stops. Um, so you you really just try to keep the wind behind you because that's the most comfortable, easiest way to sail. And uh, I really don't think it's that difficult. Of course, there's things that you should be aware of uh, that you need to watch out for and be alert for. Um, but if you plan your weather, which is now possible because weather forecasting is extremely good. So anybody who just happens to run into a storm randomly means they probably weren't paying attention to the weather, right? That's, you know, you can get three and five day forecasts. um, And if you time your sailing with the seasons, then the chances of you being in a revolving tropical storm, like a cyclone or hurricane are like minimal. Yeah. do you have an engine where you can get out uh, if, say, like a storm all of a sudden? Uh, we do. We do have an engine. She's uh, diesel-powered, uh, 68 horsepower. So it's it's a low horsepower, but it's very high torque, um, incredibly fuel-efficient. And she gives us a range of about 1,000 nautical miles. It's like 1,800 kilometers, I think. Okay. So you can like that. I didn't think horses could run that fast on water. <laughs> oh, <six laughs> I think it's months, funny so. <laughs> that we still use horsepower. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> horsepower and we use knots and feet and boats. Yeah, got it. Horsepower is the best metric out there, though. Yeah, right. You know? 68 horses pulling yeah. you through the water. Wow. wow. 68 horses <laughs> pulling you through the water on your chariot. I think I missed a bunch of layers to your question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. That was good. Because um, I was going to ask you for resources. And, of course... 
you gave us some great ones and I like the idea of the coconut milk run. I'm going to look that up and this yeah, world there, cruiser there's actually sounds like a good on research. our, if you go to, uh, if you just type into Google, like SV Delos required reading and, and on that, on our website, there's a, a section called practical sailing books. And just about every book that I've talked to you about is a link on there where you could buy it on Amazon or that. Um, but there's, I mean, there's guides, there's handbooks on, on telling you, I mean, the, uh, another great book, if you want to start somewhere, is called uh, The Complete Sailor. That one teaches you the basics of the basics, starting from knots and how to trim your sails, because that stuff can be quite technical, right? Like how to get the most out of your boats. Um, yeah. How long did it take you to get comfortable where you weren't nervous going out on the water? Ah, uh, never. I'm still nervous. Really? Every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I st- every passage we leave on, I still get a little bit of butterflies in my stomach. It's not something to take lightly, for sure. I mean, it's no, not, you know, I'm not, I'm not really scared of the ocean, but I'm very respectful because I've seen the power that the ocean can have. And I think if you stop being, you know, at least having that respect, then you're getting sort of cocky, and that's that's when we're going to get knocked around. How does it work when you? want to visit a place and you're getting into port, I mean, do you have to call like call ahead and reserve a, a parking space? You're going to popular ports. I mean, how does that all work? Uh, well, it, it also depends on countries. Some countries are super easy. Some are not. Uh, coming into Australia, you need to do an advance notice of arrival. So you need to tell them at least three days before you're going to get there, which means if you have a satellite phone, email them. You know, you email the government when you're at sea with your passport details and all that. Some countries like the U.S., you just basically rock up. Uh, most countries are like that. Brazil, South Africa, uh, all through the country. And you, you never go through immigration or anything? No, you do. You do exactly the same thing that you do when you arrive from the plane. You still clear immigration. You still clear customs. Sometimes there's an additional step of quarantine or health control. Uh, the difference is it's not organized for you. So you have to go find the office. You have to look up the rules in advance. Um, some places, it's a huge adventure. Like when we went to India, it took us three days to clear them because we had to get inspected by the Navy, by uh, the local military outposts and the police and the health inspector. What do you mean? Was, to make sure you're not drug smuggling or something? Yeah, I mean, they, they satellite phones are illegal there. So they took our satellite phone away and they're checking you for weapons and it's just a very bureaucratic country, whereas you go into Thailand or Malaysia and you fill in your details on a computer and it takes 15 minutes. Like all the, you know, in the Caribbean, that's how most islands are. All the French islands, you never talk to anybody. You go into a coffee shop, you sit down at one of their terminals, five minutes and like seven euros later, you're done. Okay. And you just park your boat in this area and leave it there and you have to pay a fee? Is that how that works? Uh, we try not to go into marinas because marinas are expensive and we like to live out on the hook, as we call it, out on the anchor. So we always try and find an anchorage that's comfortable and protected where we can swim, where we can take the dinghy and explore it. Uh, if you get into a marina that you're, you know, you're at the dock and you're plugged into power and it's, it's convenient and we do it sometimes if we have to do a lot of shopping or if we're picking people up. But I'd say more than 90% of the time we just drop the anchor somewhere. You and, boondock. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's the RV it's term, common, but you're doing it. with common practice. What did you call it? What's the sailing term? 
It's uh, living on the hook, setting the hook. Living on the hook. Okay, so you just have to park close enough, obviously in a place where the boat boat is sheltered and safe, but also so you can swim in or take a dinghy. Do you have a dinghy with you? Is it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have a dinghy. It's uh, pretty badass, actually. It's got a 25-horsepower engine on it. You know, we can wakeboard and uh, pull tubes around with it. It's Some people have smaller ones, but I'm a, you know, the dinghy is your car when you're cruising. And so, like, you know, you don't want to be, like, not able to go to land or go shopping because the wind is blowing 20 knots. You want to be able to get there. And so we invested in a good dinghy, and it's, it's well worth it. Okay. It's, and then so, you just park that thing on the beach, pull up on the beach, and just like, ah, oh, I'm just going to leave my dinghy here going to land. Depends. In <laughs> really? some places we do that. In some places there's a little dock, like, you know, restaurants and bars love sailors because okay. yeah, they, they get like business. to drink and, right. and they get business. So they, in the Caribbean, they, they often have docks where you can uh, pull up and, you know, you can lock your dinghy up or you can take your chances and leave it. Uh, some places it's totally safe to leave your dinghy. Nobody would ever mess with it. In some places you give a kid a buck to watch it for the day. Okay. Um, all over the place. Yeah, I was going to ask you about safety because you're, if you're coming on land and you're just leaving your boat somewhere, is that dangerous? Do you, I mean, there must be sometimes when you guys spend nights in hotels on land because you want to hang out and do different things. Yeah, very rarely. Really? Okay. Yeah, very rarely. Always living um, off the hook or on the hook. Always living on the hook. On the hook. Yeah, not off the hook. <laughs> and off the uh, hook. Off the hook in the clubs, on the hook at the... No. <laughs> it is similar to if you were to go into a city, you wouldn't park your car in a terrible neighborhood where you'd be afraid to leave it for fear that it would be broken into and stolen. Right, but that I can kind of look around and f- like make a judgment call, but you're just looking at the ocean, right? <laughs> you can get a vibe for a place pretty quickly by the way people are looking at you when you come in. Uh, if there's other boats around, uh, what you've heard about the place, yeah. okay. where you are, places get a reputation. I'm sure there's uh, a lot of chatter amongst the sailors, like where to go, where not to hugely, go. Hugely. I mean, there's Facebook groups, there's message boards, there's informal messages sent by email. Um, you know, we've been boarded three times. Uh, at night, which is basically like a home invasion. Really? Um, once in Three the Solomon Islands. Three times? Quite a lot. I mean, over the course of 10 years. All right, but, let's hear it. What happened? And I, got, I got robbed more in my office in Seattle in, in like three years. Really? Um, yeah, crazy. But yeah, I mean, uh, first time in Solomon's, we were sitting there. I woke up 3.34 in the morning, see somebody outside on the deck of the boat trying to pull open our lockers and steal a bunch of dive gear. Um, I woke up, yelled at the guy, and uh, they, of course, had taken their small boat from land, which was just a little canoe uh, oared boat. The boat next to us actually saw it happen. They were a bigger boat and were doing night watches, and so they jumped into their dinghy. They chased these guys down, uh, ended up beating them up pretty badly, and then getting all of our gear back. And, you know, we had been warned in that place, though, is the thing. We had been told that we should be doing night watches. And uh, we had never had any problems. We had always left all of our doors and windows open because we didn't believe, you know, this is the islands. What's going to happen here? Well, this port had a reputation. We didn't listen to it. We got robbed that night. Um, it also happened to us in Indonesia. Uh, sort of the same situation. Um 
although we didn't really have any information about that part. But when we went in there, we just felt a bad vibe. We didn't feel really comfortable about it. We wanted to leave, but we were expecting another crew to come in from the air, uh, via flight. And so we had to wait that night. And it always happens on the second night because the first night, you know, you roll in, you get scoped out by people. They watch you the next day. They see how many people are on the boat, like, you know, how many male, how many female, are they older people, are they younger people. Um, and then that's the night that they usually get you. So every time we've been hit, it's been like the second night that we've been in a place. Um, all the other times where we've actually done night watches, we sit outside with a big light. Uh, we have a few, we don't have any guns or firearms or weapons, but uh, I mean, there's a lot of things on the boat to deter people. We have flare guns, we have fire extinguishers, we have spear guns. Um, we have big machetes and knives we use for chopping down, you know, banana stalks and stuff. And But really the most effective thing we've used is a big spotlight. Anytime somebody comes close to the boat, we just stand up and we just blast them with the light. They know that you're up, you're aware, you're not an easy target, you're doing watch, and they always just go away. Really? Um, yeah. And that's pretty common? Like somebody has to stay up all night and stand guard while you're in these places? I mean, like we've probably done it less than a dozen times. Oh, okay. So it's only in certain places where you're yeah. like, yeah, you hear, you hear kind of word on the street, but you need to do night watch here. I mean, we've had locals come up to us, knock on the boat and say like, okay, guys, it's okay for you to be here during the day, but whatever you do, don't stay here at night. I can guarantee you people will come and steal from you. And so you just leave. I mean, in Brazil, we were in Brazil for six months and Brazil can be a, a quite scary place to sail. Um, we had zero problems because we got so much good advice. People said, go here, go here, do not go here. Uh, if you go into Rio, anchor in front of this beach, go and talk to this guy, tell him who you are and why you're there. And he's like the local guy who will protect your boat as a guest. Right? Um, and so that's actually quite cool. He's like the, you know, the, the beach king and nobody will mess with your boat if you're his buddy. You know, it's, it's, a, it's all about learning these little nuances of, of how to not be a target. Yeah, and a lot of that stuff you can't prepare for. I mean, you kind of learn on the way, right? And I'm sure you're yeah. developing relationships. And like you said, there's Facebook groups. I'm just listening, listening to local advice. Yeah. Well, this the king of the beach, and I'm sure you meet a lot of characters <laughs> along <laughs> the way. Uh, I, I was watching one of your videos where you met this woman, Lisa, who had been 81 days at sea. She hadn't talked oh, to yeah. anybody. She was... Doing just something for in the, climate in the change, Ocean. yeah, yeah. You know these these people, not just the people on the water, but obviously in the port. But what is the sailing community like? Like the people you're meeting within that community? I'm sure, even though the world is large, you must cross paths with some of the same people or become friends with other people that are doing this thing because they're seasonal or they're going to certain places at certain times a year. Is that has that been your experience? Yeah, absolutely. So you it's sort of like a graduating class right if you leave mexico in march everybody ends up in tahiti by you know christmas and you have a hell of a party together and then everybody's trying to escape the same cycling season so everybody ends up in you know fiji or uh, tonga or new zealand at the same time and you recognize people um and so that's quite cool uh the scene is varied i mean you get everybody out there from you know, we ran into two crazy Frenchmen 
They were probably like 23, 24 years old in like a 22-foot boat uh, crossing an ocean in this tiny little boat where when the boat leaned over, whatever bunk was on the the downwind side uh, was always underwater. And so one guy always had to sleep underwater. And then, you know, that's one extreme. And then the other is you meet this couple on like, you know, a gigantic like 60 or 70 foot powerboat. And they're like, you know, in their 60s or 70s and they're retired and they're obviously millionaires, but they're still very cool. And they still have like, you know, everybody out there has the same sort of view on life. And it doesn't really matter if you're a millionaire or have this tiny little boat, like everybody anchors in the same sand. You're still living the same life. Everybody gets together for beach, uh, you know, for barbecue or drinks on the beach. Sundowners come on over. Uh, you know, you have people of all levels of, of education. Uh, there's a lot of retired airline pilots. There's there's doctors. There's engineers. There's teachers. Uh, there's musicians. It's just all these interesting people from all walks of life that all have a, a common interest of traveling and sailing. And you get them all together in it. It usually turns into a pretty good party. <laughs> it sounds like a great community, and and then of course you're meeting people in other countries that you visit, like any traveler is. But there, yeah. I was curious about the the social aspect of the sailing community because that's unique to what you guys are doing. And you have crew come on. It sounds like like how many people does it take to crew your boat, and how do you find them, and what's that experience like bringing people on the boat? Well, we we can sail the boat with two people. This yeah. is easy. It's 52 um, foot, we, you said? Uh, 53 feet. Okay. Uh, so pretty close. But um, the deal is when you're doing long sails, the reason why having more people is good is twofold. The first thing is sleep. So, you know, when you're up, out sailing, there's no place to stop. There's no anchorages. You don't just drop the sails and sit there. You're, you're moving 24-7 until you arrive at your next destination. And so people who sail alone, they often sleep in these small sporadic spurts. They might sleep for 15 minutes or one hour or two hours and get up and check something. They might have a radar alarm set uh, to look out for other ships or AIS, which is an automatic identification system. It's like a a transponder for sailboats. So that's one way. If you have two people, you know, we do it with three hours on, three hours off. So you're on watch for three hours, you sleep for three hours, you back go back on watch, so and so. With three people, now you're on watch for three hours, you get six hours off. Four people, you get, you know, nine hours off. And so, you know, if you want to have chill time and be able to relax and have a lot of leisure time then I think having four people is great. And so we usually stay with four to six people. And where do you and find six, them? From your community or? All over the place. Like one time in South Africa, we did a, uh, we put up a video on YouTube. I want to be a Delos pirate. And we asked people to send in short two minute videos about, you know, why they would be the best crew on the boat. And we got videos from, you know, hundreds of people from all over the world uh, about, you know, just them doing funny stuff, sailing skits or whatever, because uh, you're just trying to get a vibe. Because it, it's not really important if the people know anything about sailing, because that can be taught. But what is important is their openness to learning and adventure and how they're going to interact with the other people on the crew. Uh, because if, if you have a bad emotional situation on the boat, 
that can turn into a disaster. It's bad for morale. Um, it can hurt things more than anything. And so we look primarily for how they'll fit in with the, with the group, basically. Um, we also do like, we'll take friends. Uh, if we meet somebody crazy in one island and, you know, a backpacker or something. And hey, like, you want to well, come with us? I want to get to the next island. Like, all right, dude, come on. You, know, you can sleep right there. Let's go. Uh, that's a lot of fun. I love having people on the boats. Um, I love seeing how people get entranced by learning to sail and the sailing lifestyle. And, you know, when somebody first learns something about, oh, well, that's why you pull on that sheet to trim the sail that way. And then the boat goes faster. And they're, they're looking their eyes. It's like, oh, that's something I really, I really like. That's cool. It's just another rewarding element of what you're doing. Yeah. Is that aspect yeah, too. So many things around it. You know, if you're if you're leaving Sweden, and I mean, I got two kids. I don't know if I can sneak away, but if you know, if you think I might be a fit for the crew, uh, just putting it out there. You know, <laughs> I'll pitch you in the, the next pirate competition we have. Have you submit a video? <laughs> what are the uh, longest stretches you guys have done? Uh, I think the longest miles wise was uh, from Puerto Vallarta in Mexico to. Kivaoa in the Marquesas, that was 20, 21 days. That's a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, pretty long period of time. It's, it's you know, there's three of us on board, though. So we got to adjust. You always get adjusted to the schedule. It's really tough for the first three or four days for everybody because you're getting used to the motion of the boat. You're getting used to a different sleep cycle, different pattern, watch schedules. But then after that, you really get into the groove and, you know, I, it's very rare that we end a sail and wit and are happy that it was over. Usually everybody on board is like, oh man, I could use another few days or another week or something out here. But our average sail is probably 10 to 15 days. In my very, very, very short experience of a couple hours on the Oslo Fjord, I did find that it was a very zen activity. That, that yeah. was kind of the thing that appealed. Um, do I really have to shoot a video and send it to you to apply, man? I mean, we're right here. <laughs> crying out loud. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. So people are wondering about cost, I'm sure. And, and this is like anything with travel. that You can be the millionaires and spend probably a lot of money. Or you can be the budget traveler and be sleeping underwater. Or you could be somewhere in between. I know you get this question a lot, so you must have a range that you can give people or just a little sense of. Yeah. You mean for like how much does a boat cost? Or, um, well, or I mean, I guess, you could, I guess or? you could say boats and then also, yeah, traveling expenses, like what you typically would spend in a month. Say. So when, when we have, when, before we were making the videos, we took on what we called a shared expense crew. So we just meet some guy or girl who seemed pretty cool We'd say, hey, you want to go sailing? You pay for your own food, chip in for the boat expenses. We found that to be, even averaging in cheap and expensive countries, to be 15 euros per day. Uh, so 15 euros per day would cover three meals a day, a few drinks, and fuel and traveling expenses, which, what was it, what is that, like 125 US dollars a month or something like that? It's not incredibly, no, no. 125 US a week, I think. 600 something dollars a month, which I don't think is that bad. Of course, the boat is another animal altogether. Delos uh, is basically the same as a house, right? She costs about 300,000 US dollars. 
when I bought her, I didn't have enough money to um, to buy her outright. So I got a 20-year mortgage, just like you would for a house. I put down 20% down, and off I went with my bank loan, which I then had to pay off over the next X number of years, right? Um, you know, there's boats out there for 30 grand. There's boats out there for 60 grand. Of course, the more expensive the boat, the more it's going to cost to maintain, the more it's going to be for insurance. So it's it's sort of a domino effect. It, do they hold their value? Ah, uh, not really. I mean, a boat is is not a good investment by any means. It's it's a depreciating asset. It's not like a house. Uh, just like a new car, the second you buy it, it second you pulled off the lot, it's, it's, it loses X number of percentage in value. Um, then it stabilizes as it's older. Uh, but there there are there are quite a few boats out there that could be had for a reasonable amount, and I would say a reasonable amount is you know somewhere from. 60,000 to like 140,000 or something like okay, that. Yeah. You have to plan to get something decent. You have to plan on spending around at least like a hundred K say and up or something around there. I mean, my, my buddy, Alex, who bought his boat, it was 65 grand, I think. Uh, and he just took it and went. So, I mean, you know, it depends on the size, depends on all that. I, he, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, and you're living on it. So that's, it's just like yeah. if you were I mean, buying it's, it's, an RV and traveling, you have to... Exactly. It's it's a big upfront expense, but it's <laughs> somewhere that you're going to live, right? At some point, you have to pay the piper. With the business stuff, how do you guys manage that? I mean, do you spend t- enough time on shore to upload videos and everything? Uh, you said you don't have Wi-Fi on the boat. So, I mean, I know you can be doing video editing and stuff like that without Wi-Fi. Yeah. So, that's great with video. But uh, do you just plan your work schedule around, you know, hey, all right, we're going to be in this port or the city for X amount of time. So we're going to spend like just a week working or we're going to work a little bit every day. How do you guys do that? We, we've done it different ways. Uh, sometimes we uh, tend to work while we're traveling, while we're disconnected. So because we are filming and we are editing in the middle of nowhere, that's nice. We can do that for a few weeks. And then when we get into a port, the first thing we do is buy a local SIM card, upload the videos that we've edited from before we scheduled them on YouTube and then we schedule some social media posts and then we disappear again for another couple weeks, uh, which is nice. Um, we've also done it where we have actually taken longer breaks. So we'll sail constantly for like six, seven, eight months. And then we'll take like three or four months off and we'll just sit there. Like we did that in Antigua this year because we were feeling like we were moving a lot and we wanted to find some place that had a little bit of similarity, familiarity, where we knew the layout and the people. And so we just we moved the boat from different anchorage, anchorage in Antigua. We were there for like three months. We were still living living on the hook, as, as they say. Uh, but we always had internet there. We always had connectivity and we got a lot of work done and then we went and disappeared for a couple months after that. Right. Yeah. And I find that the longer people stay on the road, of course, eventually there's an urge to set up shop somewhere for a little while, even if it's just for a couple months. I mean, this is circling back to kind of the beginning of the conversation. You have a child now. It's 
changes things as much as you want it to, I suppose. But I mean, even if there's things you don't want it to, if you if you still want to get sleep, well, you're not going to get it when you're a crying baby. <laughs> so certain things are, in, they're just, it's a change. But I'm just wondering for you guys, what does that mean for you? Are you just not thinking about it now, processing it? Are you just going to keep kind of doing the same thing? You're going to change how you structure it? What do you, what are you guys thinking right now? And we won't hold you to this. I mean, well, we're talking, you're, you're, you're five weeks into being a dad. So I'm, ha- you know. I'm happy to talk about it because I think it helps it helps me sort through my thoughts as well. But the last time that we didn't sail a lot and we, we took a trip off the boat, this was a year, a little over a year ago, to visit our family. We took like three months off. We really missed it. We missed it. And so this time we're going to, after we get back, we're going to probably say, well, if we feel like we need to stay somewhere, instead of getting off the boat, we'll just hang out wherever we are and just chill for a while and take that time as downtime to, you know, regroup, recuperate, do work before sailing off again, which I think actually works pretty well for us. Um, I've talked to, well, we've met a lot of families raising kids on board. Uh, They often turn out to be these extremely well-rounded, developed little humans because they're, you know, immersed in all of this culture and this geography lessons and you know the ocean being around them and they when they do because eventually they all re-enter the educational system at one point they often end up a few grades ahead of their peer age group and that involves of course good homeschooling but there's there's a lot of materials and uh, curriculum and, and stuff available for that and there's whole books written on the subject actually about homeschooling kids on a boat um, so that's kind of what we're thinking we're going to do. Might change our mind, but we're just going to go sailing as a family, uh, take as it comes, have no expectations, and just just try and enjoy our time, enjoy our lives. Hopefully she doesn't get seasick. Let's... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know what it's Hopefully. like for a baby to get seasick. That would be... Hopefully she likes the letter. Daddy, why why do you live on this stupid boat all the time? I can't stand the water. <laughs> You'll have to cross that bridge when you come to it, I suppose. Yeah. I suppose. No, I just remember when my daughter was born, just having this primal urge to protect her against all things. You know, it was just so strong. So bad. <laughs> yeah. And you just like, it was almost like for a couple of days, I was like, am I ever going to go anywhere or do anything again? Or am I just going to like hold her and be in my apartment? And never, you know, nothing could happen to this girl. But of course, you get over that. I think it's natural for, of course, for parents to want to protect their kids. Yeah, you know, that's that's a good point because Karen and I have actually been talking about in the upcoming season, there are some potentially dangerous spots. Yeah. It could be sketchy. It it makes you reconsider. Like, you might do those without thinking, but... Well, and now we're thinking like, well, you know, I'm on the boat. There's villages there's towns there's airports like if it's going to be a particularly dangerous stretch we'll just drop you off at a spa you can spend like two days there you'll fly to the next town and i'll sail the boat there and meet you right i mean right and she's probably like yeah now now we're talking (laughs) 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 that's great yeah i mean certainly there are solutions around that like you said and um, but it is definitely i mean there's definitely places that i wouldn't sail with a with a baby on board. And there are ways that I've traveled in the past that I wouldn't be traveling with my kids right now. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's one thing to assume risk on behalf of yourself, but I think another thing to put somebody who's 
you know, pure innocence under a risk they, they necessarily haven't signed up for themselves. That's it. What are you most proud of? Wow. Excellent question. At the moment, my daughter. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say besides that, because I know that's that's a big thing. You know, I'm proud that we've been able to to do this project the way that we've wanted to without bowing down to a lot of the normal corporate pressures that would come along with that. Um, we've been able to fund it via crowdfunding by the people who watch the videos. And so we've actually been approached by uh, a few networks that say, oh man, like I'd love to turn your YouTube videos into a network show, you know, for Travel Channel or Discovery or you know, whatever. And you start this, okay, that sounds interesting. Like it could be a cool project to work on. And then the next kind of conversation goes something like, but you know, what we'd really like to emphasize is, is the, the foodie and, and the travel concept. And we want to tone down the sailing. You know, you, you'll still get there by sailboat. And it'll be very cool. But you know, you're going to go into these villages and we're going to film you like tasting. We're going to have all these restaurant tours set up. And I'm like, you know what, man, that doesn't sound interesting at all to me. And luckily, we've been able to manage to find a way to do the project without having to change what we want to do and still make a living. So that's definitely what I'm very proud of. Good for you guys to stand with your, your values around that because a lot of travelers would jump at the chance to you know have, host a travel show on the Travel Channel or something right, like it's, that. It's, it's, it's a great thing, but you know, I, I think I didn't start sailing for the money. Right. If if I was in it for the money, I would have stayed in software development because there's a lot more money in software development than sailing around the world, right? So to me, it's about preserving a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle business. It turns yeah. out when you stay with something that you enjoy, it you you can find a way to make a living at it. I feel no, absolutely, you know? absolutely, and that's inspiring on many levels. And everything you guys are doing is a uh, I'm a fan. So uh, you you know. Thank you for Thanks, taking the time that. to to come on and share your story. And my last question is this. Do you ever get tired of seafood? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> there are some times when I crave a cheeseburger like you wouldn't imagine, or even a tomato or a freaking avocado. You know what it's like to go without an avocado for like three or four months? It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> Yeah, it's like you get into port and you're like, give me, give me the cheeseburger with avocado. Just give me the, just take the tomato and just, ah, what right I want. I'm just going <laughs> to chow it down. Yeah. I appreciate your time and uh, congratulations once again, Brian, on Thank Sierra and everything you guys have going on. And let me know if you come through Norway. I'm over here, not too far yeah, from dude, you guys. It'd be we'll great to, to meet up in person at some point. We can do a part two on the boat. Definitely. <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks for your time, man. Okay. Cheers. Bye. There you have it. Thanks to Brian for his time and for sharing his incredible story and all of the sailing knowledge he's accumulated over his decade plus sailing around the world. Doesn't that get you fired up to go get your sea legs? Yeah, granted, I have been very seasick at times on boats, but I like to think that you get over that. I still like to think you get over that. And I'm going to get out there and get some sailing in this year. That's one of my intentions. Like I said, uh, at the top of the show, I got a buddy who sails here and maybe we can get out there a little more and 
explore. This is a very fascinating way to travel. I'm I'm fascinated by it anyway, and I also love anything that's giving us a chance to cut down on our carbon output and be more environmentally friendly and travel in a slower way. Slow travel is such a beautiful way to travel, such a great way to see the world. It's not about how many destinations and sites you can pack in. It's about the people you meet along the way, the experiences you have, at least for me. And slow travel really suits me just fine right now. Just fine. I can slow down, travel the world, and sailing sounds like something. I don't know. I don't know if it's something I'll do or not, but I'm certainly interested in exploring it. At the very least, going on a week or two type of excursion and seeing a little more about what it's about, if I can handle sleeping on the boat, all that good stuff. So anyway, if you liked this show, if this got you geeked up, you can check out Brian's website. Once again, it's svdelos.com. That's S-V-D-E-L-O-S.com. And they have a very popular YouTube, YouTube show where you can go along on their adventures with them. They have different seasons, high quality video awesome stuff. So check them out on YouTube as well. And you can get a feel for sailing life right from the comfort of your own home. And hey, maybe we will cross paths out there somewhere on the ocean. Who knows? Also, don't forget, you can sign up over at zerototravel.com if you don't want to miss any of the other stuff we got going on here with this lovely, beautiful worldwide community of travel junkies that you're a part of. We're here for you, and I keep doing more stuff to kind of unite us online, to find ways to meet up in person, and I love to do that. I love to connect people, and I'd love to connect with you. So if you don't want to miss any of that stuff, you can sign up and keep in touch over on our email list at zerototravel.com. Just go to the homepage and sign up there, and you can always shoot me a note, jason at zerototravel.com. That's my email. I read them all. What a show. What a day. What a life. Thank you so much for taking your valuable time to hang out here with me and with the rest of us that are listening here today. I'm going to leave you with, instead of a quote today, I'm going to leave you with a poem. Why not? Rock out a poem, right? This one's from Dorothy Allen. It's a poem called Sailing. Swiftly cutting through the water, falling spray on either side, coyly dipping, rising, skipping, Borne along by wind and tide, merrily my boat doth glide. Thanks again. I'll see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.